Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. As believers in Jesus Christ our Lord, we are called to be like Him in every aspect of our lives. In John 17, 17, Jesus declared to our Heavenly Father, quote, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. To be sanctified in Jesus means to be set apart from the world and all that's not of Him and to grow to be more like Him in every way. Are you currently in the sanctification process? Are you growing to be more like Jesus in every aspect of your life? Let's open our Bible now to John 17 and look at this incredible privilege of growing to be more like Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday afternoon here in Texas, and hopefully y'all are loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus like we talk about every teaching. Um, I mean, it you can't say it enough. You could say it a million times, a billion times, a trillion times, and you can't say enough that the meaning of our life on this earth is growing intimacy and relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord, growing to know him more intimately, um, certainly growing to know about him, but growing to know him and his persons and, and, and his person and his presence and his love, growing to love him, growing to obey him. Um, we do that um, by, by growing in our devotional life with him, right? By spending time in the scriptures and the, and the word of God, by by reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, and above all, obeying the scriptures, right? This is how we grow to know and walk with Jesus. We, we praise him. We worship him, right? Um, we spend time in prayer and in, in thanksgiving. All of these are tools, so to speak, given us that we might grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord, once we truly know him as our Lord and Savior. So today we're going to do John chapter 17, um, Lord willing, verses 13 um, through the end of the chapter 26. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. Um, Father, we thank you that we have our Bible. We thank you that we can do Bible study. We thank you for the privilege of having a Bible the incredible privilege of, of teaching your word. Father, but above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these 26 verses in John 17, this incredible prayer that you prayed and, and even modeled for us when you prayed at the end of your life to, to the Father. Um, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for, for all you do and all you have done. We thank you for coming into this world, becoming a human man for us and for living a perfect life for us. We thank you for dying a torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today and we worship you today, Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, John 17, we'll start in verse 13. Jesus speaking, I am coming to you now 
But I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in... I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just, just profound and incredible verses. Um, and it really has so much to do with, the, you know, really with just how we operate as a body of Christ, how we operate as a church. Um, every genuine believer in Jesus Christ, every individual who is truly trusting and relying on Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. Every true Christian is part of what's called the body of Christ, the, the universal church, the spiritual body of Jesus Christ our Lord. We're all, we're all related as Christian believers. Now, in the world, we have you know these thousands of different buildings, tens of thousands of different buildings all around the country and millions around the world that, that make up the church. And it's, you know, and so our unity is, is, is very much, it's very much broken. There is one sense in which we're absolutely unified as one body of Christ. But um, as a church overall, when it comes to unity, we have, um, we have failed. And Father, I do ask you to, to forgive us. Um, I ask you to help us, Father. Lord Jesus, I ask you to to somehow reveal to us and show us you know, how we can become more unified as one body of Christ without compromising the truth of the word of God, but how we would become more unified as a church. Father, help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Yeah, I mean, I've said this before. We have, I don't know, around 1,100 denominations of Christianity because we can't get along. And um, I mean, we have, we have one Bible. 
we we have to stand on the truth of the scriptures um and you know the enemy the devil and the the spiritual forces of evil have um you know have just have done a good job in keeping us from being united as a church if the if the body of Jesus Christ was more united around the genuine and pop proper truth and understanding of the word of God, the church would have so much power that we, we, we wouldn't understand it. We would see a move of God so beyond our understanding. Um, you know, uh, there are many people that believe, uh, Christians that believe that God isn't working in the same way that he did, say, back in the early church, where we saw just consistent miracles and power and healing. I don't, I don't think... I don't think it's that God has changed. I think that that we are the problem. Uh, Hebrews 13, 8 said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He really is. So it's not that that God changed his mind and wanted to move into a a time where, you know, that we're not going to use miracles anymore because we have a Bible. We certainly have a completed Bible. And and there's nothing more important than that. But nonetheless, that doesn't stop the Lord from continuing to move in power um, and in miracles. Uh, the reason I believe that, that that doesn't happen anymore, and certainly I don't, I don't see it happening anywhere close to the way that it did in, in the book of Acts in the early church, it's not happening because we, we have no unity, because we're so divided we're so broken. Uh, we're 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 in many ways impotent as a church, and and the Lord is uh, is not allowing His power to move through such a fractured church. Which is to say, if we did, by the incredible miracle and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, come to a place of unity in the body of Christ, I believe that that the power that you saw in the early church. And the miracles that the Lord would would gladly do those things, and uh, and all of us should desire that. Now it's not that we need that, right? Of course, the Word of God is sufficient, right? The Word of God, our Bible, which is what we do here, is sufficient, okay? And and we'll take what He gives us. But you know, frankly, I would also like to move in the in the power of God. I'd like to move in the power of the Holy Spirit that uh, that my brothers and sisters in Christ moved in. Um, you know, I'd like it all. But, you know, what I have now is the scriptures, and we're going to continue to teach the scriptures, and this is what we do at Kingdom Discipleship. Um, but, but I do long for a day where I could see the power of God move, you know, as it once did. Again, I don't think it will happen without a miracle of us as a, as a church universal, as a body of Christ coming together in, in the love that Jesus speaks about here. You look at verse 20 where he says, my prayer is not for them alone. So he's been praying for the 11 disciples that are with him. Remember, he's about an hour maybe from his death. Not, not from his death. He's about an hour from his, his uh, arrest. He's right maybe an hour or two from his arrest, and he's praying to, to God the Father for protection over his disciples. Um, and there are 11 with him. Judas had already left hours ago and is leading a detachment, you know, 
two, four, six hundred, a thousand soldiers um, to have Jesus arrested. And that's that's going to come in our next teaching. Um, but in verse 20 here, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. It's not for these 11 disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Okay, so now Jesus is praying for, for everyone that has received the gospel. He's, he's praying for us as Christians today and for Christians throughout all generations, right? John 17, 20. You see it, Corinne? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. It ought to give us great comfort of Jesus. Now, Jesus is God, okay? But while he's on earth, he's praying and interceding, you know, for all the future generations that will come to Jesus Christ, right? But look what he says, what he's praying. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, this may is just a, this is a brutally, this is a hard verse because it, you know, because it speaks volumes. I want to make something clear on the outset. When a person rejects Jesus Christ, they are wholly and completely responsible for that rejection. It's only in Jesus Christ that we can have our sins forgiven. It's only in Jesus Christ that we can have relationship with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's only in Jesus Christ that we can ultimately go to heaven when we die. That is plain and clear and unambiguous in the Bible. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, it's not intolerant. These are his words. This is why we do this. It's the most loving thing we can do to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with, with all the love and zeal we can muster, labor to win the world to Jesus Christ. For without Jesus, only hell awaits. That's the plain, unambiguous teaching of the scriptures. And every person will be responsible for rejecting Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior. But that being said, as a body of believers, as Christians all around the world, it's our job through our unity that we're supposed to have a similar unity that you see in God the Father and in God the Son, Jesus. Verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. 23, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So he says it twice. In verse 21, he says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he gave a reason for unity that the outside world, those who are not Christians, would 
would look at us as a church, would see the unity of our love, of our humility, of our patience, of our of our just of our cooperation with one another. And through the world seeing that, the world would believe in Jesus Christ. He says it also in 23. May they be brought to complete unity, he says now, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So it's, it's so profound that, that the love of the love of God the Father for Jesus Christ, the Father has that same love for us. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, that the Father loves us even as you have loved me. The Father loves us with the same love as he loves Jesus. In Jesus Christ, God the Father becomes our heavenly Father, but it's only in Jesus. And so do you see these, you see these verses are telling us that as a body of Christ, we need to have unity, okay? Unless we're utterly deluded in, in an incomprehensible way, we do not have unity around the world as Christians. It is, uh, it's something that, that we have failed in. And certainly there are, there are, again, every human being is responsible for, for, for receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It says it unambiguously in the Word of God and in the Bible. And that message has gone out for, for, for generations and centuries for 2,000 years. But Jesus says here that our unity as believers may, that it ought to be of such a quality that the world looks at our the way we love and move and cooperate and encourage and submit to one another in such a way that it it, it helps them and drives them to believe that Jesus really is who he says he is, the Son of God, God the Son, who came into the world, died a torturous death, and is raised and risen again. And again, the world does not see that today. Yes, we have, you know, as, as believers in, 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 in a local body, even there we have a hard enough time having unity, right? But, but it's just, uh, again, it's, I'm, I'm just, I don't even have words because I don't, I don't understand how this can be fixed. The problem is so bad, save for an intervention of the Son of God himself. Uh, I mean, I just need Jesus to come. We have broken this thing so bad that, you know, we're, we're, we're so separated. We have so little unity. And I say it again, it's so wonder we see so little of the, the power of God in the way of the miraculous, right? Certainly, we still have the power of God in the word of God and the son of God. And yes, that is sufficient, but it doesn't mean that's all we should want. We should want to see the power of God and the manifestation of God in every way. But we can't have that. Apparently, he won't allow us to have that when we are so, so divided.
and there really is very little evidence of our love and our cooperation and our unity. I've said this before, uh, all of us as pastors, as ministers and our leaders and as leaders have this concern over, over our church, over our ministry and over our flock. And it almost certainly outweighs our concern for the kingdom of God and the word of God and the son of God. So it's just, it's, it's, it's an area that every single one of us as Christian leaders needs to repent. Our concern needs to be for Christ and his word and his kingdom first. And then our little ministries and churches uh, individually, th that needs to come later. Of course, we need to minister to our flock. We need to take care of our flock. But we need to have a heart for the advancement of the kingdom of God, the gospel of God, the word of God, and the son of God holistically. And we ought to be excited and blessed and encouraged wherever that's happening, right? And if it's happening more somewhere else, well, thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, and it's uh, and it's just something that we have uh, we have failed to do as Christian leaders. And Father, I again, I I just ask you to forgive us. I don't even know what words to use, Lord Jesus, but you know we have not acted in a way where the world would look at us and say, "Man, y'all look like those kind of people that." Man, I believe in Jesus now from looking at the unity of the church. And so, Lord, I thank you that by your grace that uh, and by your mercy, more clearly, seemingly in spite of us than because of us, that, that people still come to know you, that people are saved, that we're still able to grow in you. But I ask you to help us to somehow genuinely repent and that we could get on a path of unity somehow before you come in return. And Lord, I pray that you would come now. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, come and, and fix us, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's, uh, yeah, it's just something that every one of us needs to work on. In no way can we compromise the truth. As I've said, it has to be unity around the word of God. It has to be unity around just the plain unambiguous teaching of the word of God. Again, I don't even know what percentage you'd put on it. It's, a, it's like we have 99% division and 1% unity. Um, and the Lord is not pleased because it's disobedient to what he tells us here. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. This is an interesting statement because He's still on earth, but he's talking about all of us as believers being together in heaven, right? I was, uh, when I was studying for this, Charles Spurgeon said that he's, he's so caught up in his prayer that it's, it's almost like he's experiencing. He's almost like he's in heaven in spirit, experiencing the unity that he wants with us and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. He desires to be together. I mean, do you desire to be together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Do we have a burning desire for just our fellowship and our community? And hear me, I'm not talking about sitting in a Sunday service, okay? That's not fellowship and community. It's a good thing, right? And certainly it is an element of it. But, but spending our lives together moment by moment, day by day, Jesus walked with his disciples, 
for three and a half years. It wasn't the times that they sat in on his public preaching that would have been the most special to them, although that certainly was a good thing. And we ought to go to church and, and, and listen to good Bible-based teaching, right? And praise and worship God together. But it's the time we spend as believers living out this life. It's not once a week on Sunday for an hour and a half or an hour or 45 minutes or whatever your, your, your mass or service is. Um, it's about just experiencing life and community. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Apparently, when we go to heaven and see the glory of Jesus and see Jesus in his majesty, in his deity, in all of his Godhood, so to speak, um, it will be, it will in itself be an incredible peace and contentment and desire and fulfillment. It'll be so fulfilling. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Do you have a desire to see the glory of Jesus? Because you know I don't enough. I do like at this moment than when I'm talking about it, which means I need to think about it more. But Jesus says he wants us to see his glory and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Okay. Again, we see the, um, the statement, you love me before the creation of the world. We see the, the, the eternal, the eternal aspects of the Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit are not created beings. They've always been. They created time and space and planets and universe and people and air and, and everything, water, right? Um, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. So again, we see this, this beholding the glory of Jesus is tied to the love of Jesus and the love of the Father. They're intertwined. You notice it said right here, okay, and to see my glory. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Our job as Christians, our job as Christian leaders, Esther, is to, is to behold the glory of Jesus, to manifest the glory of Jesus, to point to the glory of Jesus, it's not to, to glorify ourselves or to bring glory to ourselves or to, uh, to build up ourselves or to, to draw people after ourselves. Um, just a, another, you know, another place of repentance really for, for all of us. Like just again, as, as Christian leaders, it is exciting when people hear the messages we're sharing. It's exciting when they see the, the work of Christ in our lives and others. But it's our job to consistently die to ourselves and to point people to Jesus Christ. Um, Father, I ask you to forgive us. Forgive me where I have sought glory for myself instead of pointing people to your glory. Forgive us, Father. Mm. Verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you 
have sent me. It's interesting he calls him righteous father here. He's about to go through a, a torment and a pain and a torture that's incomprehensible. He's about to be tortured to within an inch of his life. And then he's going to take the sin of the world into himself. And knowing that the father is the one that's called him to do all that, appointed him to do it. He chose to do it of his own will. And yet he still says, righteous father. Sometimes when we go through suffering, I know that when I've gone through suffering, I've been angry at my heavenly father. And you know, that's part of genuine relationship. When you're in relationship with someone and you get disappointed, sometimes you get, you get angry, you get frustrated, right? And you, and you share your heart in that frustration. And, and our father can handle that, by the way. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they, they can handle your frustration. But make no mistake, God is righteous. God our Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit, even though we've had to go through difficult times or horrible times or terrible experiences, he's righteous, he's perfect, he's holy, and he knows what he's doing. And Jesus proclaims here, righteous Father, the Father's going to allow Jesus to suffer, and he's going to pour his wrath into Jesus. But Jesus still says, righteous Father. And that ought to be our declaration, is, is, is righteous Father, Lord Jesus, you are righteous. Holy Spirit, you are righteous. Forgive me just my, my complaining about my difficulties. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. So again, he's speaking about the leaven disciples and he's proclaiming to God the Father that they know that God the Father sent God the Son Jesus into the world to die for the sins of the world. Again, is that your testimony today? Do you know Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior? Have you received him? John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus Christ into your heart for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Right? Uh, in Romans 3.23, the scripture says that all human beings are sinful and fall short of God's holy standard. And we deserve only hell, the scripture teaches. Right? Isaiah 59 says that we're separated from the triune God because of our sin. We need a savior to save us from our sin, to save us from hell. With that understanding, Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, again, you just, you just can't call, just say some words or just call on any Jesus. It's, you know, you can't just believe in any Jesus. You got to believe in the Bible, Jesus, right? Um, but from that, from a place of humility, understanding that you're a sinful person, you're hopeless, you're helpless, you're desperate, and only Jesus Christ is preventing you from an eternity in hell. From that place, you call out to him and simply and humbly say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinful person. Lord Jesus, I cannot save myself. I am hopeless. I'm helpless. I'm desperate. But I believe you are the son of God. And I believe you came into this world and lived a perfect life. Even for me, 
and died a perfect death for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I humbly ask you now to come and live in my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin, to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and confidence and trust in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's, that's, a, that's, that's how you become a Christian. Now, again, it's important to understand, just saying those words is not what saves you. It's, it's the, the genuineness and sincerity of your heart of crying out to Jesus, of calling out to Jesus and genuinely receiving him, knowing your need of him, right? Um, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. Verse 26, I made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So did you hear that? That the love of the Father would be in us and that Jesus himself would be in us. You notice in that prayer, we just prayed, Lord Jesus, come, come into my heart, right? You know, we want Jesus to live in the center of your being and your heart and what the Bible calls your spirit, right? And to be one with you, right? Jesus' desire he says, in order that the love you have for me may be in them. So the love of the, the love that the Father has for Jesus is in us. And then he says, and that I myself may be in them. Jesus Christ lives in every genuine believer, in every true Christian, Jesus Christ resides. That's why we humbly ask ourselves, Lord Jesus, come and <coughs> excuse me, live in my heart, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, we kind of we went backwards to forwards, so I will go back to 13 to 19. In 13, he says, I am coming to you now. He's talking to his heavenly father. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Okay, um, before Jesus is arrested, and tortured and crucified, um, he says he's praying for for them, and by extension us, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Not just joy, but the joy of Christ. What's amazing is that Jesus has this incredible measure of joy, even though he's going to go through immense suffering. It's not something I really learned to do very well, Uncle Dennis. You know, have have tremendous joy when I'm in the middle of suffering. And Jesus is about to suffer in an incomprehensible way that no human being in the history of the world can or will ever know. And yet he has an immense joy and he prays that we would have that joy. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would have that joy, that we could somehow walk in your joy even in the midst of difficulties. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. When we, when we teach the word of God, Scott, people don't like it. I have given them your word. Jesus said, it's not my own. The words I, I gave them are the words of God, the father, your Bible is the word of God. And when you stand on the word of God as the truth, as I say over and over, 
as much as I try to say it, and Christian leaders all over the world say it, it's not about being intolerant. It's the word of God. But we prefer, the world prefers the, the word of men and women over the word of God. This is why we study the scriptures is we want to know the word of God lens, right? Not the word of men or women. You don't need any of my words. Hopefully I'm just giving you what the scriptures teach and unpack that. Anything that's just my words, you can just dismiss that. You don't need the word of the pastor. You don't need the word of mom or dad. You, you don't need, what you need is the word of God. Obviously you want to be respectful and listening to the words of your mother and father and of the pastor and all that. But what we need is the word of God. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So when you're in Jesus Christ, you're actually part of another world. You're part of heaven and eternity and eternal life lives in you and you're one with Jesus Christ, right? As Christians, we ought not be, we, we, we ought not live as the world does. We ought to be separate from the world. And you see, he's going to say that here in a minute. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. This is interesting. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He never, he never desired it for us to be taken out of the world, but for us to be used as his disciples, as his representative in the world, as his representatives in the world. And he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Again, he's speaking about the devil and the demonic forces, and he prays for protection. There is a spiritual battle. There's a cosmic battle going on in the invisible realms or the heavenly realms where, where, where spiritual forces of evil, right, demons and devils, right, are in conflict with the holy angels of God. And it's, it's a battle that we don't understand, right? It's a cosmic battle. It's an incredible battle that goes on. And... And, you know, the battleground is for our mind, right? The enemy tries to put thoughts in our mind, unbelief in our mind, dissatisfaction in our mind, um, hopelessness and despair in our mind. And it's only in Jesus Christ that we, we have protection in Christ and in his word, right? And Jesus prays here for the disciples, for his 11 disciples, and again, by extension, us, that we be protected from the spiritual forces of evil, right? the devil and, and his minions. Verse 16, he repeats, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Again, if you're a Christian today and your language and your behavior and your whole mojo is just like those who are non-Christians, then, then you want to take a hard look at yourself, okay? And see if you really are genuinely trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, okay? Um, I say this, I say a genuine Christian all the time because a genuine Christian has Jesus Christ living inside of them, okay? And there ought to be a manifestation of that. There ought to be some desire for Jesus and his word, right? There ought to be a growing love for him. Now, again, um, if, if you're a Christian today, right, um, 2 Corinthians uh, 13 says, examine yourself, I believe it's verse 5, to see if, in your, if you're in the faith, right? Again, we want to do a self-examination 
to see, am I really trusting and relying on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and the salvation of my soul? And if you're not sure, then rewind the tape and go back, humble yourself before Jesus and ask him into your heart again, right? My daughter, Kristen, has an incredible testimony of, um, you know, she was, she was raised as a, you know, as a Christian. I shared the gospel with her her whole life. She had prayed the words to receive Jesus Christ, you know, dozens of times, whatever it was. But when she was, how old were you, sweetie? 23 or something. She, uh, you know, she had graduated college and, and I had asked her if she had any heart for Jesus. And she had said no. And she didn't, she wasn't a, a genuine Christian. She had an, an intellectual belief in Christ, but but she didn't have a genuine trust and reliance on Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Um, she didn't have Jesus in her heart. And she called out to Jesus with a, with a genuine desire and passion, not only for the forgiveness of her sins and the salvation of her soul, but she wanted Jesus right now. Now she's gone on and she's married to a wonderful man, Nathan, and uh, you know they're, they're working to live for Jesus Christ. So again, Examine yourself. Do you have a heart for Jesus? Are you, you know, do you, are you trying to, to abstain from the things of the world, right? I'm not saying being perfect by any means, but there ought to be some desire for Jesus Christ and those who are claiming to be Christians, right? And if you don't see that in yourself, then go back to the foot of the cross. Again, use the words that I did and, and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Verse 17, sanctify them, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is an incredible verse. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify them, sanctification is a process where we grow to be more and more like Christ. It's a process where we're set apart from the world. We're set apart from ungodliness and worldliness and unbelief. And it's a process where we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in growing to be more and more like Jesus. It's a, it's a process of increasing holiness where we, you know, where we have a lifestyle of sinning less. And it's a process of increasing Christ-likeness, growing more and more to be like Jesus in every aspect of our lives. And he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That process of increasing holiness and Christ-likeness comes as we spend time, you see it, Riley, reading, studying, meditating on the word of God, growing in our devotion to Jesus and obeying Jesus and obeying the scriptures and re repenting when we fall short and spending time in prayer and praise and thanksgiving. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. There is no sanctification. There is no increasing holiness. There's certainly no Christ like this. There is no being set apart separate from truth. And the truth is the word of God, is the scriptures, is the Bible. This is why we do what we do. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus has sent you and I into the world. One day he'll call us home, right? And many of us have been in a place in our lives where we just, you know, I just want Jesus to take me home. I certainly want Jesus to come and take us all. But Jesus says, Jesus said, right, to, right, Father Rick, as you sent them, as you sent me into the world, 
I have sent them into the world. Jesus sent his disciples into the world then, and he's sending us into the world now. He has work for us to do in the world as his ministers. I'm not talking about professional ministers now or paid ministers or people like myself. All of us as Christians are sent into the world to magnify Jesus and to bring the message and love of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus has actually sent us into the world. That's where we need to be until he comes or calls us home, right? In verse 19, for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. What is he saying here? Because Jesus is already perfect. He's already completely holy, right, Ireland? He's, he's flawless. So what does he mean when he says, for them I sanctify myself? Well, all he can really talking, be talking about here is that, you know, that I'm going to go on and finish the work, as he said in uh, verses three and four, that you've given me to do, right? Father, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you've given me to do. I believe it's verse three, John 17, three, three and four. Um, so when he says, for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't died for the sins of the world. He's going to sanctify himself by completing now the work of the cross, right? Dying for the sins of the world, being raised from the dead, and only in Christ can we be truly sanctified. So when he says, for them I sanctify myself, I go on to finish the work, Father, that you've given me to do. Um, I've gone on, I'm going on to finish the cross. I'm going on, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. I'm going to become sin, right? And he'll be raised from the dead on the third day. He says, for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Without the death and resurrection of Christ, there would be no true sanctification. The Bible would mean nothing. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, there is no true sanctification. There is no growing to be like Christ. There is no growing in relationship with God. There is nothing. There's nonsense. Okay, It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord that is everything that restores us in our relationship with God, that justifies us. We're declared not guilty of sin, righteous before God based on what Christ alone has done. And then we live our lives out growing to be more like Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your favor, Lord Jesus. I thank you for this incredible prayer that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that we can just be, we can just begin the process of growing to be more and more like you, Lord, in all that we do. Lord Jesus, we love you. We bless you and we thank you. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your mercy. Holy Spirit, we ask you to now Seal the message to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.